I found a place of sanctuary in theorizing, in making sense out of what was happening. I found a place where I could imagine possible futures, a place where life could be lived differently. This lived experience of critical thinking, of reflection and analysis became a place where I worked at explaining the hurt and making it go away. Fundamentally, I learned from this experience that theory could be a healing place. Bell Hooks, in her chapter, Theory as Liberatory Practice, in her book, Teaching to Transgress. Welcome to season four of Safe Topics. In this series, we're talking about books. And other things. Yes, other things, but we're going to go deep on some books. Not like a full book review, but like a chapter by chapter review, which I guess adds up to a full book eventually. (laughs) Yes. And we're going to talk about anything else that makes us think about how we teach and why we teach. And we want you, the audience, to join us. Listen for details about how to do that at the end of this episode. All right, here we go. So there, Hooks is really talking about theory as a place, whereas the chapter title is talking about theory as a practice for liberation. Yep. And this goes right back to Paulo Freire, right? Right. This this is talking about let's move from theory to praxis. Let's move from theory to the actions that that theory inspires. However... Bell Hooks really says, you know, the, what the way that I read this chapter is that we we need to take up residence in theory, mm-hmm. even maybe while engaging in practice, while doing things. But if if we, you know, I I, I kind of go to that that part of the chapter where she's talking about people complaining about the theorizing, complaining about the talk right and people just want to get to the walk part yeah and you know she's really defending the talk part here yeah oh yeah oh yeah well and and i'm glad we're jumping to that that spot because i I feel like what she's doing kind of in the middle of this chapter is setting up something of a binary which we talked about which her last chapter really critiqued right um binary thinking is something she's resisting but so she has this group the group that is critical of theory because they want the action. But then there's another group that she talks about earlier, who's, she says, uh, um, uh, 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 let's see. So I'm on page 64. It's all about uh, an intellectual class hierarchy of abstracting, of using jargon, of producing these ideas that are difficult to read. And it's, it's all about the talk, right? And so she kind of has these two different groups. It's the ones who are critical of theory because they want to do the thing and the ones who aren't doing the thing, but they're sort of engaged in this hierarchical competition over who's got the better theory. And she splits them. I don't think she splits them to say, and we should be neither of them, we should be someone else. She splits them apart so that she can kind of use both, I kind of think. Well, I think she's separating people into categories of arguments. Uh-huh of like people that are all about the action people that are all about the theory and how each of those can frustrate the other right yes like we're talking about this too much let's get to work yes but work to them is like something you do kind of 
like there's a there's a tangible element there's like a like you could see them doing something you know it's kind of like when whenever my mom comes over and i'm like i'm working right but yeah. i'm at the computer yeah she thinks like she can still talk to me right <laughs> you know because i'm not like really like i'm not doing what she thinks is work right what she thinks is work is like you're doing something with your hands you're making something you're cleaning something you're building something with your hands and you're moving around you might be sweating you know yeah i'm sitting at the computer which looks like playing a video game or doing anything that yes. is not doing anything yes no that that's doesn't right. make sense but i think it kind of makes sense no totally i think that's right and so um that's the theorizing that's the theorizing. The computer work right but if you don't draw up the designs right and then you go to build something with your hands it's going to suck Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think there is a little bit of, well, there's, so, so um, in this chapter and, and, and we'll come back to this, I'm sure, but in this chapter, right in the middle of it, like this is a chapter that kind of has like, it starts with somewhat of a wide aperture zooms in very specifically, and then kind of brings that aperture back out again. And, and right in the middle, this is a chapter that is all about, so I'm on page 69. Mm -hmm. It's she's talking about this, this theory and this practice within I'm going to I'm going to quote here within revolutionary feminist movements within revolutionary black liberation struggles. And then she goes on to say, we must continually claim theory as necessary practice within a holistic framework of liberatory activism. And right at that point, she's using this plural we, but she's very what she does before that and what she's doing after that, it's a very specific, distinct group of we. It's a collective of Black communities, Black individuals, Black women, Black mm -hmm. men, right? And so this is very much about the Black experience, um, a, a, a woman's experience. Um, she starts the chapter talking about her own childhood and the yes. trauma that she experienced even within her own family. Um, and so... For me, as a white male reading this, the core of this chapter is, is there's a listening move that I need to be doing here, right? There's a lot that I want to do. I get excited about the theory and the practice and how I want to apply that to teaching. But, but, but so I, I think it's important that, that, you know, we will come back to this or we can be here for a little while, you know, that underpinning this chapter is a very specific American experience um, of Black individuals with women. And, and, and I'll just say one last thing. I'm over on 71. This is in response to, quote, and this is the quote, white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, right? So Absolutely. So that's the core of the chapter. But where she goes from that, and, and I, I want to talk about this too, is she's very, she wants that specific struggle and theory and practice to be heard by a broad audience. And that's the real critical move she's making in this, this chapter. This specific experience should be heard by everybody, the theories, the practice heard by everybody, but it's this group that's lived them and, and struggling, right? Well, and yeah, and it's a, it's a careful balance because then just because it is then, I would go beyond awareness for the masses, right? Uh, yeah. More of like a really part of moving those marginal stories to the center, yep. then it, it, the, but that doesn't mean the center is going to own these stories. There's no ownership, right? right. They're right. clearly owned by um, 
black folks, black women in particular. Yep. And, and, you know, she makes that abundantly clear throughout pretty much all of her essays. Yeah. And what I want to say about that is, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you got us there a little quicker because it, it is probably the first thing we should have said, or the first thing I wanted to say yeah. was any kind of like parallels are false parallels yeah. and any kind of relating that I do to this text and especially this chapter yeah. is in no way to make like a direct comparison it is simply in the way that I could relate based on who I am and never to take anything away from the message of what she's trying to get across. And I think that, yeah, that's really, really important. And I do want to talk more about that. And I don't want to save it for later. We can get into more of that now. Yeah. So um, she writes work by women of color in marginalized groups or white women, for example, lesbians, sex radicals, especially if written in a manner that renders it accessible to a broad reading public is often delegitimized in academic settings. Mm -hmm. If that work enables and promotes feminist practice. So if it does that, yeah. though such work is often appropriated by the very individuals setting restrictive critical standards it is this work that they most often claim is not really theory. Clearly, one of the uses, uh, one of the uses these individuals make of theory is instrumental. They use it to set up unnecessary and competing hierarchies of uh, hierarchies of thought. So the, they use it to set up unnecessary and competing hierarchies of thought, which reinscribe the the politics of domination by designing work as either inferior, superior, more or less worthy of attention. King emphasizes that theory finds different uses in different locations. It is evident that one of the many uses of theory in academic locations is in the production of an intellectual class hierarchy where the work deemed truly theoretical is work that is highly abstract, jargonistic, difficult to read, and containing obscure references. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, all right. There's a bunch of things that I want to say there. <laughs> so please. <laughs> so let's, I, I don't, so, so I want to return to this sort of this core of the chapter that, that, that we're, we're listening to. Mm -hmm. I also, I also want to point back at the last chapter, the Paulo Freire chapter mm -hmm. and its structure. We commented on and how she opens that chapter. It's this is a um, a heterodox form of of sharing ideas. This is an interview with myself with playful. myself. Playful, I think, is the word. It's she playful. Uses. This is a playful dialogue. Mm -hmm. She's naming that here. She's gesturing towards that here. She's saying that kind of writing is dismissed as non theoretical, right? Right. right. But what she's doing here in this chapter, I mean, just the language that you read, it mm -hmm. is that academic discourse. Mm -hmm. It is that jargonistic that that sort of difficult to read there's a couple sentences in that what you just read i underlined them and i read them twice three times did mm -hmm. that kind of unpacking move right mm -hmm. she's, she's being playful here but she's being playful on the side of academics um well go back go back and read the description of what what you know she's saying she's railing against right well what what is give me all those adjectives again what the, kind of society 
white supremacist capitalistic patriarchy. Boom, jargon, 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 right? Those have made it to the mainstream, but certainly I think at the time of writing, we could say that they were more jargonistic than they are now. You know, oh yeah, more than than now. Yes, I said that. Yeah, I think maybe I said that right, but yeah. Right, yeah. And so, but okay, what I think is really what I, man, Bell Hooks is just, I just, her mind, her writing, what she's doing is she's using the jargon to mm-hmm. theorize about it. And what she's also doing in this book is in praxis, she's transgressing against it, right? And so it's at no time is this just language for her. At no time is this just action for her. At every time it is this theory as liberatory practice. And I just, just real quick, just the passage you read, that, that the, the way that chapter e- ends, is she's starting to show you that um, these hierarchical practice, like this competing hierarchies of thought this is a form of education as a practice of domination, not as a practice of freedom, right? So that's the critique of just the pure theoretical. That all we can do in that space is just better each other's theories, which is a practice of domination, right? Yeah. So, okay, my question to you is um, kind of a letters question. Okay. Does, does an anthology have to be... Like, does there have to be a common thread for it to be an anthology? I 100% think so. Think so. And that could be a common thread that is like thematic mm-hmm. or topical. But in yeah. this case, and in this case, in this book, it is. But it yeah. is also rhetorical and it's textual. I mean, there are so many, the way I'm doing my annotations, um, the way that she starts. Okay, so, so the way, let me finish my thoughts. Sorry, my brain's going yeah, to yeah, yeah. The way that my annotations are tracking this is I'm writing page numbers next to passages. And like we're on page 59 yeah. and I'm remembering page 26. Remember page 26? This is in her introduction when she's talking about her lived experience as a child uh, uh, through yes. um, desegregation. Yes. And she's talking about kin. Um, and oh, sorry. This is in um, engaged pedagogy, I think. So you're talking about her white friend, Ken. Yes. That was like the family, like there wasn't, like the color barrier wasn't between them in some ways in, right. in the way that it was with everyone else. Exactly. They had the dinner way together. She kind of describes that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and she was talking about this dinner with, with Ken and his white family was a revolution. It was a historical moment. This isn't a revolution of values, not the introduction. Sorry. But, That's right. But do you remember the line? She says, there was no elaborate postmodern political theory shaping our actions. So she has this sentence where she says, as a child, I had no theory. It wasn't shaping my actions. And yet she begins theory as a liberatory practice saying, I came to theory because I was hurting. A pain within me was so intense. And then she says in this quote, children make the best theorists. It's right? so great. It's so great. No, no. But even when you go back to 26, you got to go a, a sentence before that, because this, the, the sentence that is right before that is our notions of social change, talking about Ken's family and her, yeah. our notions of social change were not fancy. And then yeah. I'll repeat the line that you wrote. So they're not fancy. Yeah. There was no elaborate postmodern political theory shaping our actions. That's a fancy ass sentence. Yeah, that's right. That that's incredible. And and then and then we're coming back to that idea and bringing that childhood lens back in. 
Yes. And saying, those are the best theorists. That's how I thought then. Yes. And that's why it's weird because there's a sequential, like it's going in an order and it is a collection of essays. And the way you order those essays is really important, but it's either this is a theme of her writing always, or this is so intentional that we don't even understand all the layers, you know? And it's just, oh man, like, I feel like Paulo Freire, that chapter, and Theory as a Liberatory Practice are essentially the same chapters. They're just written, the structures of them, that binary that she created, the doers and the theorizers. Yeah. She's both of them. Like these two chapters, they put that back into that, that tapestry thinking, right? That she's kind Gloria of- Watkins and Bell Hooks in, chap- in this chapter. Whereas she was having a playful discussion between the two in the previous chapter with Paulo as as kind of the centerpiece because of how he informed this thinking that you see really play out in the evolution of her thinking and writing in the subsequent chapter. Yeah. And and she uses so the, the you referenced King in the passage that you wrote. This is Katie King who wrote an essay called Producing Sex Theory and Culture, Gay Straight Remappings in Contemporary Feminism. So this is, is, that's the obscure reference that she offers, um, which she's critical of sometimes. Um, But, but so, but, but she has this line for that. She's describing King, King, and I'm on page 63. King encourages us to have an expansive perspective on the theorizing process I read a line like that and I hear exact a similar thing she thinks about Paulo Freire. This sort of right. you know, it's it's his theories are meant to be self-aware and self-reflective and self-criticizing. That's that pedagogy of of liberatory practice, right? At the at the core. And that's what Bell Hooks keeps pointing us towards, keeps keeps emphasizing that that's essential. You know, it's it's interesting because the line, the the passage that you opened up with. Yeah. You know, I have the same exact passage that, that I <laughs> underscored, uh, highlighted, and, and was prepared to talk about today. Yeah. But I, again, one line before, I think really just like changes yeah. almost everything because, right. you know, she's, she's referencing a very popular story that probably yeah. most of the listeners know. Um, and I'll, I'll just say that part right before, well, I'll, I'll just read the next sentence too. So folks remember where we're at. Yeah. How I envied uh dorothy how i envy dorothy her journey in the wizard of oz that she could travel to her worst fears and nightmares only to find at the end that there is no place like home then she goes on to say living in a childhood without a sense of home i found a place of sanctuary sanctuary in theorizing yep yeah so Again, living, taking up residence in right. something like thinking, in reading, in theorizing, right? And, yeah. and and I think that, you know, it's no wonder in in her adult life, in, in her profession, she's coming to the defense of this, right? Yeah. Because this is this is her home. You defend your home. That's right. And I and, and she's clearly saying she lived there. That was a more of a sense of home than her home was. Yep. And I, I'm kind of interested in this Wizard of Oz thing too, right? Because that's, the, you know, just the meaning of that story and 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 how there's always kind of like this return to home that that is uh, safe and feels good. 
but it's also like black and white, right? Like really plain and really, um, you know, not, not, not really boring, but like comforting to the point where nothing out of the ordinary should happen. Right. Yeah. The wizard of Oz. And I'm trying to remember back to, to my a history class I took mm-hmm. like early in community college where the professor was situating the wizard of Oz within American um, sort of struggling. Um, the wizard of Oz is kind of a transgressive story itself. Like it yes. was meant to be allegorical about yes government's decision-making, you know, economic positionality, mm-hmm. you know, voices not being heard. And so, you know, the, the Wizard of Oz is a manipulator, right? Yeah. Um, and there's all these promises towards, towards good stuff, like the Emerald City. Um, but also- yeah, wasn't it urbanization too? Is kind of a- It was a move towards the gold standard. So like there's symbolic references to that. And right. I'm trying to remember the details. The like yellow that. brick road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought it was like this move to the cities where everything's fast paced, unpredictable. There's all these demons lurking, you know, behind every tree and every corner that you don't know of. Like the fear of um, urban life and city life and a return to like traditional conservative kind of values by like wanting to go back home. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Then you also have just sort of the lived experience of Dorothy, who's a child, rural rural country area her relationship to her you know her her family to her neighbors and then her experience throughout the story she has that childlike i mean this goes back to the beginning of this chapter this reference to children make the best theorists um the norms haven't set in for her yet and so she's she's in a position to question everything and ask why don't we do it in a better way like what, what what's wrong with that you know um, which is which is the point Hook starts the chapter with. So I, I think I think that reference to Wizard of Oz is intentional for lots of different reasons. Like Hooks is seeing intersections there that she 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 can bring in as an analogy. Yeah. Right? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. But going also just where where Hooks herself is frustrated by just the the people who who downplay the theories, she tells a couple stories about her. With a group of women, a group of black women, a, a very specific space where she and 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 another black women can share. And she says at one point, she's hearing this critique of theory and she's keeping herself silent because she doesn't mm-hmm. want to just disrupt that what she finds really pleasant in that group, just that that home, like right. There's another so this notion of home, I think she's very expansive about it. She's theorizing is her home, but the people are her home too. And she tells another story towards the end of the chapter where those things really do weave together, where the theory and the practice reads, the, and, and she has this woman come to her, they hold hands, and, 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 and this woman expresses, you know, I would never have gotten here if you didn't challenge me, if we didn't have this frank, honest, theoretical and, and practical conversation, um, which I think a lot of us as teachers can relate to. But I like that expansive notion of home too, right? uh theory practice people yeah theory practice people but again she's specifically talking about the the complicated status or or position of feminism right right that's really what is at the center of 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 her argument is you know like we see the feminist theorizing happening 
but which ones do we really see? And and who gets to even play in the black feminist thought area and get recognized? And even when they get recognized, are they recognized as real theorists or they recognize in a way that, you know, what they're doing is acceptable or exciting to people who are outside of that world. Right. Or, and I think that's important. Yep. She's really concerned about appropriation, right? Yes. Yep. Um, And also she's really concerned about censorship, right? It's, 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 it's both and, you know, voices and ideas that are, are dismissed by that hierarchy, that hierarchical, that elite intellectual class, right? But then the voice is used, so appropriated. And then, mm-hmm. so there's that similar, like, silencing and censorship, but then also appropriation at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that, though, um, let me read a little bit more. I am grateful to the many women and men who dare to create theory from a location of pain and struggle, who courageously expose wounds to give us their experience to teach and guide as a means to chart new theoretical journeys. Their work is liberatory. It not only enables us to remember and recover ourselves, it charges and challenges us to renew our commitment to act an active inclusive feminist struggle we have still to collectively make feminist revolution i'm grateful that we are collectively searching as feminist thinkers theorists for ways to make the movement happen our search leads us back to where it all began to the movement when an individual woman or child who may have thought she was all alone began a feminist up uprising began to name her practice, indeed began to formulate theory from lived experience. I want to to continue here because it's really good. Let us imagine that this woman or child was suffering the pain of sexism and sexist oppression Mm -hmm. that she wanted to make the hurt go away. I am grateful that I can be a witness testifying that we can create a feminist theory, a feminist practice, a revolutionary feminist movement that can speak directly to the pain that is within folks Mm -hmm. and offer them healing words, healing strategies, healing theory. There is no one among us who has not felt the pain of sexism and sexist oppression, the anguish that male domination can create in in daily life, the profound and unrelenting misery and sorrow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Bell Hooks writes another really brilliant book. It's called The Will to Change. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all about this specific thing. And I'll never forget a lesson from that book that, that I learned. And I'm just going to bring this in, you know, and, and, and I say it all the time. And of course, attributed to her. But, um, you know, it's that she says, OK, yeah, not. And I, this is a direct quote, just remembering this. Um, men are, uh, not all men are violent, but all men are expected to have the potential of violence in them. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me is like, that changed my entire thinking, just a mm-hmm. sentence. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That not all men are violent. And then I really reflected on 
but are we really expected to be? It, 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 we should have, like, uh, do we feel the obligation to have that potential, which is weird to have like the obligation to have a potential, but that's what it really is. Right. And to me, the answer is yes. You know, because there are instances um, and then there's, you know, variation in like body type and demeanor and, and, and things like that. And, and what situation if you're with your friends as opposed to with, you know, your family or whatever the case may be. But then that's where the hierarchy is really apparent. Right. Mm-hmm. Because if you are a man who is able bodied larger than the other people in your group and something happens that there is that expectation. Yeah. But if you ever use that in other contexts and even against the people that you were protecting in the other context, the not it, it's not that the consequences are severe, but that is really what perpetuates this this oppression from a feminist perspective. That that reminds me of a story she tells early in this chapter, just of her own mama and daddy, right? The and and just their striving to live a patriarchal sort of yeah right where the dad works the mom stays at home nuclear family nuclear family yeah. mm-hmm. and and she's she describes herself as resisting that structure as sort of in acting out against that structure and right it, and 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 she's also really empathetic she she kind of flips it and says i can imagine from my parents point of view me just trying to mess with this thing that they are striving against so many odds just to make possible, right? As a black family living in America in an economic situation that, right. And so, yeah. And so where I love, so I, I, I agree with you that, that line, the critique of the, um, from a feminist perspective, just, yeah, you know, the, the potential, the capacity of men, our complicity in, uh, let me read it again. White supremacist capitalist patriarchy. You know, I can kind of say, not that's not me. Like I, I'm doing some work. I'm, I'm aware. I'm, I'm right. But then, no, I, I am in these structures. I, I do have these potentials. I have these capacities. Uh, this, this is again that kind of. I, I'm going to be introspective about this. I'm going to be reflective about this. Uh, it's hard in a podcast to like respond to that with with something that's like i don't know other than just processing it you know what i mean um and i think you've reminded me of this it's important that i don't it's important that we don't go yeah 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 but i i could speak to like how i feel when i read those words and and how i feel when i read those words is i gain a better understanding of the defensive posture that people put up when they're confronted with these adjectives and these ideas, right? When they're confronted with dominance hierarchies and their place on it, right? Because it is that, hey, I'm not that though, right? There's an exceptionalism, you know, there's either an exceptionalism or, or, or a very quick acceptance and like, let's think about it more. Or there's an I'm an, I'm exceptional and I'm not that so I don't have to think about that. Actually, I think you're wrong, right? Yeah. yeah. And and to me, it the teaching to transgress name of the book. Yes. Part of this is like if you are using those words for or against the reader, 
you are teaching them by forcing them to confront those adjectives and reflect if that is your reality complicitly, subconsciously, actively, passively, resistance, going with the flow. Like you have to battle with all of that and the ways that you are probably engaging in all of those things with all of those different adjectives at different points of the day, different points of your life and in different areas of your life. And I think that that right there is, you know, a thought exercise that can be exhausting and, and really more important than most, most formal assignments I'll ever, I'll ever, um, you know, put forth to students. Right. Um, are we at a, uh, we're starting to wrap up. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I think we're right about there. Okay. I just want to say a final thought then. I, I, I really, yeah. my takeaway from this, the structure of this chapter does start from kind of a, it's a childhood, a, these general statements about all children. They have these capacities for, for wild, amazing, radical theories. The aperture zooms in on black Black women lived experiences. This is the this is this is this is the core. And then the end of the chapter, you read what you read earlier is, is how the chapter ends. There's these moves she makes towards the end of the chapter to to talk about how important it is to share feminist theory with everyone, to write theory for general audiences, to write, to be inclusive. And so my takeaway from this chapter. I have a lot of them, but I think the broad one is she's creating space. She's creating space constantly. She concludes with, you know, emphasis on creating space, but from very particular points of origin, right? Very particular theoretical positions to create that space. And, and, and for me, that's, I still have a lot of thinking to do about this chapter, Um, but I, yeah, so that, that's. Absolutely. You know, I, I hate to bring a white guy in here, but I'm going to bring a white guy in here. You know, Robert Frost, right? Yes. And then what is this famous poem? Don't ask me that on the spot, man. <laughs> no, the, 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 the road, the road less taken, right? Yes, yes, yes. So yeah. And, 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 and at the end the big interpretive, you know, the interpretation that can go a lot of different ways. So, and, and I took the road less taken and it made all the difference. I think I'm not quoting it exactly, but you know, it made all the difference or something like that. Right. Right. But but he didn't say it made all the positive difference. Right. Totally. Made all the negative difference. Right. People interpret it automatically as positive. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the same way, I'm thinking now, because we know about Bell Hook's childhood, like, you know, she talks about it in not glowing terms and talks about, you know, the 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 the, the um you know what her home was like and how she had to find home in other things, especially reading right. and writing. Right. And I think about now with Dorothy in Oz, right? And clicking those heels together and and saying there's no place like home. Again, Mm -hmm. didn't say there's no place like home because it's great. Didn't say there's no place like home because it's awful, but it's left to us to know that that's the truth, right? That is the truth for all of us. There is no place like home. Yeah. And there's, there's, you know, a lot more to the story from there.
If you heard anything in this episode that has you thinking about how you teach, why you teach, or if anything made you feel joyful or even mad, like you just yelled at your dishes or whooped while you were walking your neighborhood, I've done those things. <laughs> then we really want to hear from you. You can find us on the Twitter at Safe Topics. Let us know how you're responding to today's book stuff. Like, what did we miss? Or what did we totally get right? Or what questions did we raise for you? And best of all, how are you thinking about your teaching and students? We'll update what we're reading so you can read along if you want. And your feedback will shape our discussions as we go. We may even read some comments in the episodes to come. And not just the nice ones. Safe Topics is a safe setting for dangerous topics. That's right. If you like this episode, please rate and subscribe. We've never really asked people to do that before. I know. I think it's cool, though. We're ready to be rated and subscribed it. Yeah, and big thanks to Kelly Burnett and the rest of the Safe Topics team for editing, producing, promoting, and all the other wonderful backstage stuff you do. <laughs> and thank you for listening. 